Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go! What is good, everyone? Happy New Year! This is Destination Dynasty. I am your host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Hopefully, when everybody is listening to this, they are on the verge of some fantasy championships. And this episode is going to be our last in the series of off-season prep. It's going to talk a little bit about strategy heading into the offseason, going to talk a little bit about the 2023 rookie class, but also going to talk a little bit about how to treat the next couple months in Dynasty, because it's a weird period. It's one of those weird periods where a lot of people jump into startups. A lot of people are looking for dispersal drafts. A lot of people are looking to take over orphans. A lot of people are also dumping teams. A lot of people are also looking to reshape teams. And it's a hit or miss. It's the kitchen sink. Some leagues are super, super dead. Nothing happens. We talk about that a lot. Eric and I just finished our series over on America's Game. We literally went through every skill player in the NFL, both AFC and NFC, over six and a half hours worth of content, going through every depth chart, talking about stashes, pretty much at every position. We talked about contracts. Check those out, the last two episodes of America's Game. Those are great to listen to. Uh, If you've been following this series, definitely two shows that you want to listen to prior to starting your offseason for Dynasty. But one thing that I've noticed is things are hit or miss, depending on which leagues you're in, depending on how the league treats this period. Some leagues are super active. You get teams that are really looking to make changes. Maybe they're pissed at something that happened this year, or you get teams that won the championship and they're saying, you know what, I'm blowing things up. Then you have those leagues that are just dead. I mean, we talk about that all the time, the leagues that lock after week 17, and then literally nothing happens in the league for the next four months. Sure, you might get a little bit of chatter around combine time, but really nothing happens until like NFL free agency leading into the NFL draft. And a lot of these leagues also don't have many trades. Trading might not even be open in leagues. Waivers definitely aren't open in leagues. So you know to kind of anticipate a dead period. So you really have to know what you're dealing with. That's why it's been so important over the last couple weeks to focus on getting your team ready for this period, especially if you're in one of these leagues where it does die after week 17. There is no waivers. Maybe there isn't even trading until the Super Bowl. 
I wouldn't advocate that, but there are leagues with rules like that, where it's designed to almost take a little bit of a break after the season. In those, if your roster construction isn't set, if you're still stuck with some roster cloggers, if you're still stuck with some players that you know are completely useless, you may be stuck. You may be stuck just having those players on your roster until you're able to do some sort of movement with them. So you have to consider that. You have to consider what type of league you're in and figure out what type of stuff actually applies to you that you can be doing. So tonight's episode, I'm going to focus on how to treat this period. And I'm going to use some assumptions. I always try to give a baseline example of what's the stock format that we're talking about. So I'm going to kind of stay in the middle. Uh, One thing I do in all of the leagues that I commish, and if you're interested in getting in a league with us, uh, Ray and I and Eric and a lot of others at the DD team, we're running these USFFL leagues. We plan on running many more of them. They are going to be best ball. If you're interested in those, I'm not guarantee you that you're going to get a spot, but if you're interested, let us know. Uh, We can try to get you in one. There's a little bit of a screening process. You definitely have to be active. You have to be a member of the Discord, so there's some things that go into it, but we can probably get you in one of those leagues sometime in the spring or in the summer. It's a very unique format. It's an auction style uh, with some really, really unique nuances and rules. So if you're interested, let me know. Reach out to me, Discord, Twitter, GroupMe, Slack, wherever. Post a comment on iTunes, leave a review on iTunes, whatever. You know how to get, get a hold of us. Somebody at the DD team will get back to you if it's not me directly, but let us know if you want to get in one of those leagues. So we're not going to use the extreme though for the example here. My leagues specifically, not the ones I just mentioned, but just the typical leagues that I run that I've been running for years. What we do in those is we run waivers year-round. Literally every single week of the year except for the week during the rookie draft. If the draft goes over the typical waiver day, we will skip one week uh, and that's it. But every other week, waivers run. Now, in those leagues, I don't have to be as meticulous about my roster construction because I can always go pick up a random player in February or in July or any time in between. There isn't a closed period. Now, it's only once a week. There's no first come, first serve. First come, first serve ends after week 17. But there's always waiver claims that can be made. The waiver budget resets after the Super Bowl, and then that's what you get for the rest of the year. So that gives you the flexibility to make pickups during March, during April, before the NFL draft. You see stuff happening in free agency, it spawns some waiver moves. So you have that flexibility. In those, I'm not really worried so much about my roster construction. Big deal. If I want to drop a backup quarterback that I hung on to for an extra week, fine. I can go pick somebody else up the second week of February. No big deal. So I think that's the atypical. You don't see a lot of leagues with those rules. A lot of leagues, they're literally locked. There isn't waivers uh, until the rookie drafts. Now, in other leagues, there is no activity at all, meaning like you can't run any sort of waivers. Trades might not even be open for a little bit of time until after the NFL season is over. There may be not any waiver runs until after the NFL draft. I know some leagues, they don't like to do any waivers between January and May because they want whatever veterans might have hung around in the pool to be in the NFL draft. We saw that last year. Teams, after he retired, dropped Tom Brady. And he ended up in some rookie drafts because there was no waivers after the player was dropped. So you see stuff like that that happens, and it does make a little bit more drama come up when you actually get to the rookie draft, because there might be a couple veterans in there that makes the picks just slightly more valuable. But that's what I found as being also on the extreme. A lot of leagues, there is activity between now and rookie draft time, between now and combine time. 
There's trading that opens back up, even if it's a couple weeks after the NFL regular season ends. Uh, And there's also a waiver run at some point. Now, it might be three months down the road, but there is a waiver run March, April, something like that. There's a waiver run during NFL free agency. So we're just going to operate that there is some flexibility. You're not just completely stuck from now until May with no activity. So we're going to assume that we can trade. We're going to also assume that there's going to be a waiver run. So with those two things locked in mind, uh, let's just talk a little bit about some strategy over the next couple months, because obviously we have this dead period, right? We have the NFL playoffs that'll start here in a couple weeks. Then we have the playoffs. We go through that, the Super Bowl. Then after the Super Bowl is where we start to see a little bit of activity in the NFL. We have the league meetings that come up after a couple weeks after that. Then we have the new NFL year that typically starts, I believe it's this year, is the third week of March that it starts. Same week as the NCAA tournament, the last couple years. So the new league year starts then. That's when trades become official. That's when signings become official. The league flips over to 2023. By then, you're going to know who's going to get franchise tagged. By then, you're going to know which restricted free agents got tagged with a specific level or with a specific tender. You're going to kind of know which players are going to be getting traded. Some trades may have already been announced and then they don't become official until then. So a lot happens. So there's a lot that changes from a dynasty perspective between now and then. But can you take advantage of it in your league? Or is everything kind of just frozen between now and then? Because there are some really, really interesting things that take place between now and when like NFL free agency opens or when the new league year opens. Oh, and here's the first thing, the first main takeaway. So let's say your roster is kind of ready to go. What should I be looking to do between now and the spring? Let's call it right after the NFL combine, when we start getting the combine data in, that's right before the league year starts. What should I be looking to do then? And I think the biggest thing is twofold. One, liquidity. We talk all the time about liquidity, liquidity of assets. Really in this scope, what liquidity means is taking my roster construction, understanding where it should be, even if it is perfectly aligned. I get this question a lot. My roster construction is pretty much dialed in. Now what do I do? And just because that's the case doesn't mean that can forbid you from being in search of liquidity on your roster. And here's what I mean by that. So go back to the episode that I talked about the roster clogger receivers. That was the first off-season prep episode that I did. And I went through and talked about the roster cloggers. And I mentioned in there, you know, kind of what you want to think about if you're looking at receivers in these different ranges. Uh, I talked about on the roster construction series, this is kind of what the wide receiver threshold is. This is how you define it. This is how you calculate it for your league. This is really what you want to be looking to do if you have one of these setups. Then in that episode, what I did is I went through and put the names to the roster construction. Now, what does that mean if I'm already there? Some of the names I mentioned in that prep show on receivers was, these are guys that I would liquidate. And I've gotten a couple questions since that episode of, hey, my roster construction is pretty much where I want it to be. But I have a couple of those guys that you mentioned that you would re-roll on or you would liquidate on. What do I do? And I think that's the biggest thing is thinking in the mindset of, okay, even if I have things dialed exactly where I want, what is more valuable to me? A guy like Michael Gallup or a late second round rookie pick. And you might sit there and go, you know what? I wouldn't hate paying the 210 for Michael Gallup, 
But if you also go back and listen to that show, Michael Gallup was one of those guys that was on the very, very back end of the wide receiver threshold. I think he's a threshold wide receiver. He's good enough to do so. He's gotten paid like one. And he's on an offense where they should throw the ball more and they have an efficient quarterback. So everything kind of is checked for him to be going into next year as a quote-unquote threshold receiver. Now, he's probably your seventh or eighth receiver on your team, or at least that's where you want him to be. But just because you have that, and he is your eighth receiver, and you're going, you know what, my roster construction is perfect. He's my last receiver, and I'm fine with that. That doesn't mean you don't want to lean into the fact that you're probably better off liquidating a guy like that only because he is at a spot that is very easily replaceable. And I think that's where the liquidity comes in. Think about week 18 of this year. The fantasy season is over. That is the furthest time of the year away from the next time that you're going to need fantasy points. So what is more valuable then versus in September of 2023? A future second or Michael Gallup. Now, you might always prefer the second, but think about the difference if you just take those two assets, A or B, the gap is further apart between the player and the pick in week 18 of this year than it would be opening day of next year. Opening day of next year, we might be in a spot where it's like, wow, you know what? The season's about to start. Everything's kind of gone Michael Gallup's way. They didn't draft a first-round receiver. He's fully healthy. The Cowboys are going to look to throw the ball more. I'd consider paying a future second for him next year. So he could get to that point where you're like, you know what? I really love to add him to the back of my roster as my wide receiver seven or wide receiver eight. But that's next September. Right now, you're sitting there going, man, every Michael Gallup share, I wish that was just a second round pick. Because there's a lot that can happen between January of 2023 and September of 2023. Think about all the transactions that happen. Think about free agency, the draft situations going from good to bad or bad to good. There's so many barriers that can actually interrupt the value of that singular player. You would prefer the liquidity. So we really have to look at things through that scope. Liquidity is king this time of year. Now that doesn't mean that you want to be so liquid with draft picks next year that you don't have a roster that has enough to fill the quota at each position and has a chance to start scoring points at a high level when opening day gets here. But you want to always have a level of liquidity, and you want to have the highest level of liquidity now, once the season's over. And then you start liquidating it into points and players. You can start doing that as we get closer to the season. So it's something to think about, and it's not just a guy like Michael Gallup. It's a lot of places. It's a lot of these spots on your roster. Backup running backs. I've talked so much about any running back on a 53, right? Any running back going into the offseason that could make a 53-man roster. I mean, Eric and I literally talked about every running back possible in the NFL on our two-part series on America's Game. We're mentioning guys where people are going, wow, there is no way that you are rostering 15 shares of Wayne Gallman. There is no way that you have picked up every Mike Davis and Damian Williams that's been dropped. But those are the guys we're talking about. And there is a level of value that those guys bring you during the offseason, even if it's a 1% chance that they're on an opening day roster next year. There is a time to roster those types, and it's now. But how does liquidity work at running back? Because you've told me, hey, roster as many running backs as you can into the offseason, really trim down on the roster clog or receivers, trim down on the backup quarterbacks that don't have a prayer to get a starting job. So I have all these running backs. 
but how do I now play the liquidity game? Because you've told me to stash all of them, but how do I play the liquidity game? Well, think about the market during the season. What does the running back market look like during the season? And I've talked about this pretty much all season, and a lot of people have heard me mention this on other shows, and you might have even seen it in a lot of your leagues. Running backs come up every week. There are running back spot starts that pop up every single week. In a lot of leagues, you get players that are trying to sell those players every single week. Hey, does anybody want to play this guy? You have to give me a third round pick for him. This player is available for any third. Hey, there's one of these running backs that might have a little bit of pedigree. So you're Jamal Williams, you're Deontay Foreman, you're Chuba Hubbards. Like those guys have a little bit of pedigree. But now it looks like they're going to start a lot of games. Maybe they're going to start for the next month. Maybe they're going to start for the next two months. Hey, does anyone want to give me a second? You start seeing those types of running backs that are potentially in line to give you multiple weeks worth of starts pop up during the season. The price is a second. Now, you don't always want to pay the price. There were many times where people are offering me Jarek McKinnon for a second. People are offering me Deontay Foreman for a second. Jamal Williams for a second. There's many, many other names. You're not always in the position where you need to pay that. Not every roster needs to buy those guys. But you see that market that exists in a lot of leagues. And that's a great market to be a part of, both on the buy and sell side. But if you think about it, when do you really want to have the buying power? You want to have the buying power during the season. You want to be the one that has multiple third-round picks just sitting there, ready to fire, ready to trade on a whim when you might need a spot starter. Goes for quarterbacks too, but we're largely talking about running backs. You want to be the one that has those picks available. I've made the mistake on a couple teams this year. I didn't have enough picks. I went into the season. I go, you know what? I just have a couple picks. I didn't have enough to get me through the season. I could have bought me some spot starts. I could have bought me a couple more shares of guys that ended up giving me more than one or two starts. They could have been started half the season. But you see that. You want to be the one that has that buying power during the season. Now, Adam and Mike talked about this on the last 4D chess as one of the things that they are kind of trying to grow on Uh, or they at least mentioned it on one thing they want to get better on next year, is having those picks, prioritizing those picks. And when is the best time to prioritize them? During the offseason. They matter the least because they're the furthest out. And I think that's something that everybody can do. Now, the one thing about that is people have become smarter. Dynasty managers have become smarter. I think a lot of people understand that the power of those picks, especially if they're in a lot of active leagues, like a lot of us are, They're in those active leagues where you can buy players week to week. You really did see where you might have missed out if you didn't have those extra picks to be able to throw around during the season. So it is harder in those leagues to get those types of picks, especially in the offseason. So it makes it even more powerful to think about this idea, though. If you are in leagues where you can sell Michael Gallup for a second, Tyler Boyd for a second, go back and listen to the wide receiver episode. I went through a dozen names that I would sell for a second simply on the terms of getting the liquidity now. Being able to carry that liquidity forward and give me more flexibility. At any point, I could probably go back and buy a receiver exactly like I'm trading away. If I go, man, shouldn't have traded away that Tyler boy. He really finished strong. I wish I had him back next year. Okay, you could probably get him back. Maybe not exactly from that same team that you traded him to, but something like that. You can fill that placeholder for the same price. So why not take the liquidity of the pick now? So you have to kind of think about that, and you have to think about where in my leagues 
can I gain liquidity where someone else is willing to buy? What are people willing to buy now? So from a seller's perspective, you really have to try to cater to those spots on your team that are able to be sold to other people and the type of assets that people would be actually willing to give up a pick for now. And I don't know the market about how it's going to react now, given how reactionary things have been in 2022. And given how much people prioritized points at the end of this year, how much is that going to continue? Typically, it doesn't. Typically, you get into the offseason and the clock strikes midnight and you go, hey, I'm out of the playoffs. The league is over. We're going into the offseason. Who wants to give me a second for a guy like Tyler Lockett? Right? Like that's a typical player that costs a second during the season. You get to the offseason, and it's mostly people that just don't want to buy that type of asset now. It's an asset that's clearly flatlined in value. It's going nowhere but down. There's a lot that somebody like Tyler Lockett has to overcome to get back to the point where he is a really, really viable starter next year. He's a good enough player to do it, but he still has to kind of escape the fact that you don't know about their quarterback situation. You really don't know about what else the team is going to do. There's a lot that has to happen. And you go, even if everything happens, where does he get to next October? Exactly where he was this year, and he's barely worth a second. He's a guy that I would only pay a second for during the season if I really needed him. I had to have the right team. So like that type of asset, you might think it's worth a second. But you also look at your team and you go, man, can I get anybody to give me a second for a guy like Tyler Lockett now? Probably not. On the contrary, you don't want to pay a second for a guy like Tyler Lockett now. Why? What's the point? So you have to look at these players that you're putting on the trade block and go, where can I liquidate? Where is the spot that I can liquidate? And a lot of times you have to be creative. You have to liquidate in a range where, okay, I know these players on my team. This is the type of player that somebody actually might want to trade for in my league. So probably a good place to be trying to liquidate is not the old crusty free agents that you go, man, I'd love for anybody to give me a second for those guys. I'd love for somebody to give me a third for that running back that really was only relevant this year. Uh, and then who knows if he's going to be relevant next year. Like who wants to give up a third for Raheem Mostert in February? Probably nobody. Now you could easily see where he's worth a third next year, but he has to overcome a bunch of hurdles just to get to that spot where he's maybe worth a third next year. And you'd probably prefer that third until he comes up and you can buy him next year. Okay, maybe I'll pay a third, but I want to know like he's starting this week and I can add him. So you have to think about that. The type of assets that people are chasing, it's really hard to liquidate. So if you can liquidate for those assets, just based on that principle alone, the running backs, the older running backs, the older receivers, a lot of the veteran players, if you can just liquidate those, forget your roster construction. Take the liquidation. If you look at this move and say, you know what, it'd be pretty easy for me to buy a prototype player very similar to this back in six months, why not just take the pick now? Give me the flexibility now, because who knows what else you can do with that pick? Who knows if you can add that pick to something and move up in the rookie draft? Who knows if you can add that pick to something else and get an even better player? Like Those are always deals that potentially could happen but you're never involved until you have those picks and you go, you know what? Maybe in three months, there's a potential trade in my league where the person wants picks. And by golly, I'm the team that has five picks stashed. Perfect. I can make a run. Whereas if I wouldn't have made those liquidation moves, I couldn't have made that run. So you have to think about that. You have to think about the spots on your team that would be appealing to the rest of the league from a market perspective, but also would be 
in ranges where you would be comfortable liquidating. They're not really going to disrupt your roster construction that much. Uh, and here are the two spots. Uh, the first spot, obviously, the really, really low-end QB2s. So the QBs that are just placeholders. Think about some of the QBs that people are going to be interested in chasing because they were solid this year. Jared Goff was solid this year. Geno Smith was pretty solid this year. Daniel Jones was solid this year. But you can pretty much look at those guys and say, you know what, am I really trading away a potential top 12 or better season next year? Sure, they finished on the fringe this year, but there's a lot that has to happen for them to maintain that next year. Their value isn't necessarily going up. Their value is pretty much based on the fact that they're stable. There's stability. So that's the biggest theme here. If I look at an asset and the first thing that comes to mind is potential job security or stability, that's the perfect place to try to liquidate. That's the perfect place to liquidate in the offseason. So QBs, you find some of those. Wide receivers, you find a lot of those. So think of a guy like Christian Kirk. Someone like that where you go, you know what? Probably pretty solid. Probably a good bet to be a top 40 receiver or better for another couple years. But what else is he? Is he top 20? Is he top 24? Or is that one of those where you can kind of peg that they're just kind of right in this range where I know they're steady, I know they're solid, but it's not an asset I feel like even if I move away from, I'm going to get burned on. And that's another spot, especially at wide receiver, especially as people sit here and they really try to flip their roster constructions over and chase wide receivers, especially if you hear this narrative about the 2023 receiver class not being that good. That's going to become a pervasive theme that you're going to hear over the next couple months. So you're you're going to see a lot of people chasing some of these wide receivers where we go, they're, they're just a guy. They're just a replacement level receiver. They're good. You want to have enough of them, but it's that range from your roster construction where you go, hey, I want to have a bunch of these guys between wide receiver 20 and wide receiver 40. Okay, I want to have a few guys in there, but I'm not going to obsess over which ones they are. So look at the names and you say, okay, can I play some market value with these guys? And if you can, that's a perfect place to liquidate. So think about that. So think about places that you can liquidate and say, okay, it makes some sense to where even if I trade this player away and then in three or four months, I have to buy something else to get my roster construction back where I want, it shouldn't be too hard to take advantage of getting this prototype back. And if you say, I can always go and get that later, then makes sense to kind of move on it now. You'd much rather have your equity tied to draft picks during the dead period than you would individual players. With individual players, situations can change, injuries can happen, draft picks or free agent signings can massively sway their market value. All those things can happen to a player, but they don't happen to a draft pick. So think about that and think about how important that is and how much ahead of the game you can get in your league. I don't want to say it's taking advantage of people, but if you can shift some of these volatile players that are just kind of flatlined or flat level assets and you can shift those to draft picks during the dead period, the period that's the furthest away from scoring any fantasy points, you're golden. So look at your roster. This is something you're probably going to want to do with a lot of your teams between now and we start getting into like combine season. You're going to have a couple months to kind of just study these types of moves. Feel out your league. Put some of these players on the trade block. A lot of times you're going to put the players on the trade block and you're not going to get what you feel like is an adequate price. 
But what's an adequate price? You have to think about the value of the liquidity. You might sit there and go, you know what? There is no way I am trading away Christian Kirk for a late 24 second and a late 23 second. Call it the 208 and a 24 second. You sit there and go, man, there is no way I can make that trade. I think he's worth a first. You're obviously not getting a first. But let's say you can't. The best you can get is a second, but someone's willing to give you two seconds. So think about that. Think about where Christian Kirk would sit in the range of wide receivers. And then think about what it would take to get a similar prototype, maybe a guy a little older, maybe a guy that doesn't have as good of a quarterback, whatever. 10% lower than Christian Kirk, but you can get that player for one of those seconds. So you just think about the logistics of that move. Now magnify that type of move across 15 teams, and you make that move 15 times. You've now pivoted off of 15 receivers that are in the wide receiver 24 to 50 range, let's call it. And you've gotten, out of those 15 receivers, you've traded them away for 30 second round picks. Now think about that. You may be burned on like five of those 15 to where it's, damn, I traded away a guy that bounces back next year and has a top 18 or better season. And all I got was two seconds. Okay, you might have got burned on five of those 15. So out of those 15 you traded away, five you got burned, and you got two seconds for each one. So that's 10 seconds that you really you didn't get good value back when you got those seconds. However, let's say of the 10 that you didn't get burned on, you got 20 seconds. And you were able to basically backfill a lot of those spots on your roster with half of those second round picks. So you traded away 10 of these guys, you got back 20 seconds, and you were able to literally backfill the exact same player 10 times in each one of those leagues with one of those seconds. You've now profited 10 seconds across your portfolio. Free seconds. Now, what you did with that second is a different story. Did you hold it for the season and buy a couple spot starts during the season? Did you package it during the rookie draft and move up in the first round two spots? Like, there's a lot of things you can do with it, but you're not having to be defined by what you do with that pick right now. Whereas you are defined by what you do with those picks if you don't get them and you're stuck with 10 Christian Kirks or 10 Christian Kirk types. So think about that. Start thinking about this type of theory in the offseason and apply it. And it helps when you have multiple leagues. It helps when you have 10, 15 leagues. Because you can look at these players and you go, you know what? They're, they're really just assets. I don't have to care as much about the name. I don't have to worry if the name is Jerry Judy or Rashad Bateman or Christian Kirk. I don't care. I don't have to focus on that specific name and zoom into that specific player or that specific profile and get worried that if I'm wrong, that I get burned because of the name or the situation. Zoom out. Be agnostic. Look for the spots where you can say, okay, I can make these types of moves. They're process moves, and I don't even have to really worry about the individual names, especially if you're in multiple leagues and you have some of these players in multiple leagues themselves. You can really look at it just like you're hedging your bets. You're hedging your bets on different outcomes. And then finally, to shift with this same argument, let's look at the running backs. This is something that's going to be really, really fascinating of how this can be taken advantage of in the next couple months is the running back landscape. I mean, just looking at the free agent running backs right now that are currently in the keep trade cut top 60, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, Devin Singletary, Jamal Williams, Alex Madison, Kareem Hunt, Damian Harris, Deontay Foreman, Jeff Wilson, Rashad Penny, Samaj P. Ryan, Raheem Mostert, Jarek McKinnon. 
That's 16 running backs in the top 60. I know that's only 16 and keep trade cut. Who cares about that? Who cares about running back 58 or running back 53? But think about it. That's 16 free agent running backs that you know could potentially be moving. Their value will be impacted over the next couple months. Now, part of that might be they don't resign. They're hitting free agency. Everybody anticipates where they're going to go. Uh, another part of that might be, hey, this team could actually draft somebody if they don't sign this player. And that might impact the value of potential spot in a certain place where one of these guys departs. Uh, this is 16 free agent running backs, but it also impacts other running backs on their rosters. Josh Jacobs, Zamir White, Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott, Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, Devin Singletary, James Cook, Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift. Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard, Jarek McKinnon, Isaiah Pacheco. So I just mentioned another dozen players that potentially could be impacted in value if you just know the other one there is going to go away. It now becomes one of those spots where even temporarily you might see value boosts for these guys. Now, should they boost in value? Not necessarily. I think a lot of people are just suckers if they're going to go, oh, I'm going to overvalue now Khalil Herbert because David Montgomery hit free agency. Whereas the reality, what we're going to see, I think, with a lot of this is we have a really, really strong rookie class coming in, and we have a lot of these guys that just because one leaves doesn't mean the team that they departed from couldn't go sign one of the other guys that departed from another spot. So you're going to have a lot of movement. You're going to have a lot of players going from one backfield to another. So really what it means is you're going to have a lot of value change, at least from a market perspective or a market opinion perspective, in the next couple months. So take advantage of that. Think of types of deals where you can take advantage of that. Think about guys that are going to be overvalued simply because their situation isn't really going to change. We were talking in the Discord about a guy like Cam Akers. Ray talked about Ramondre Stevenson. Like there's guys where you go, wow, their value is actually going to go up. And it may not be that their value goes up. You know what goes up though in your league? The demand. The demand for a guy like Cam Akers might go up a little bit because you know what? He's still on the Rams. You All it takes is the Rams to come out and go, you know what? Cam Akers really, really showed us something at the end of the year. We're committed to giving him a shot to be the starter next year. That's all it takes. That is all it takes for, not for you to sell Cam Akers for a ton or sell Cam Akers for a first, but what it gives you is an asset where you can go, okay, now I think Cam Akers actually has some market value to where someone might want him. Someone might be willing to give me two guys off that list that I mentioned for Cam Akers. You know, can I get Devin Singletary and Damian Harris for Cam Akers? And you might sit there and go, yuck, don't want to do that. I know there were definitely people in the Discord when I put a deal like that out there. Yuck, I don't want those players. But think about it from a process perspective. Forget about the names. Think about that. If I can get a two for one, and really the only thing I'm getting is lack of security over the next couple months, where the security is absolutely meaningless anyway, Go back to the roster construction show where I talked about running backs and why we value pretty much any running back on a depth chart. Go even further back to where I talked about the running back impact episode, where it's once you get to a certain range, they're all replacement level. And I just need enough to be able to fill those spots on my roster in a given week. So think about that and then think about how you can take advantage of the fact that a lot of the running backs are going to kind of artificially go up and down in value over the next couple months. 
nothing's going to happen to their profile or their talent or anything. It's just you're going to see a move in the market because of the perception of what their workload can be. And basically what I'm saying is we have no fucking clue what their workload is going to be. It's all going to be based on perception. It's going to all be based on, well, you know what? We saw it at the end of this year. So it has to be true next year. And I feel scared about not having this locked in security on my team in March. So I'm going to go ahead and trade away the Damian Harris's and Devin Singletary's. But man, I need to get me some of that Cam Akers. I need to get me some of that J.K. Dobbins because I know they're going to be on a roster next year. Well, the reality is like, so is Devin Singletary and so is Damian Harris. And I know I keep throwing out those examples, but those are the perfect examples of, I don't even really like those guys. But if the community is going to go, yeah, they're worthless because they're hitting free agency and they really weren't great to begin with. So they really just can't be that good. And I'm unsure of having them on my team now because they don't have a home. We'll just wait till they get a home. So you have to kind of just use your brain when you're looking at these types of things and go, how can I take advantage of a flawed market, but also a predictable market in terms of how we know many dynasty managers are going to behave over the next couple months? Take advantage of that. Where on my roster can I take advantage of that? And some of the lack of clarity at the running back position, not just with the free agents, but with the rookie draft coming in, uh, you're going to see that be a prime spot where you can build liquidity, add volume without having to pay a tax. And really, I think, get your roster construction to where you want. Like, there's going to be deals where you can go, wow, I turned a Cam Akers and a J.K. Dobbins into four guys that are just as good as those two. But I got four of them. And I literally got two for one shots. And basically, they all fit into that RB2, RB3, don't give a shit range next year. But man, I just got four for two. And I did it because I did it at a time when everyone else was uncertain about the four and they wanted to pay for the quote-unquote certainty of the two. So just think about that. I'm not here to really give any more names. The whole point isn't to give names or to give examples of, hey, this is a two-for-one I would do. But when someone comes at me and goes, oh, no, 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 I can't do that because of why? The name. The name. I can't do that trade because it involves Cam fucking Akers. I don't like getting those two shitty running backs back, whereas the reality is Damian Harris, Devin Singletary, and Cam Akers are the same player. The only thing you're losing by trading a guy like Akers is you forego the chance in seven months that you can trade him for even more to a sucker. Somebody that goes, hey, I'll give you a 24 first. But if you don't think that's going to happen in your league, just think about this type of trade and why it makes sense, especially at this running back level, to do it. So that's another idea of how you can build some liquidity. You can do some two-for-ones, some three-for-ones. Eric and I have talked about this on America's Game. Listen, we're going to love the second, thirds, and fourth round picks in this year's class, but there are going to be some deals, and one of the mistakes that he and I made last year was we hoarded the hell out of those picks. We hoarded the hell out of seconds and thirds and fourths, especially the thirds and fourths, and we went way overboard on some of these rookie running backs, way overboard on literally drafting Ty Chandler in 25 different leagues because he was a great value. He was a pretty good profile that you could have had like in the late fourth of rookie drafts. So we went way overboard drafting tons of share of those guys. And part of it was we were like, you know what? He could be the next big thing. We talked ourselves into it. But what did we forego? Did we forego maybe a chance of trading away a Ty Chandler share because someone else wanted to make that draft pick and we gave away the chance of getting two or three bodies, literal bodies, Guys that were dropped, guys that we could have found on waivers later on, 
guys that didn't have any upward momentum because it was the offseason and they're in their fifth year and no one knew what team they were going to be on. We could have made deals where we traded a single third and someone would have given us three running backs off their bench. Now, you're not always going to guess right, but think about the process there. When you're down in the range where it's they're, you're just drafting placeholders, doesn't it make sense to get a three-for-one special? So think about that. You're not always going to be right, but think about those types of things and how it makes sense on the broader and larger scale and go from there. But those are definitely things you can do in the next couple months during this dead period, assuming that your league does allow trading and also assuming that there's not like a really, really active waiver wire. Somewhere in the middle, I think that's where most leagues stand. Uh, So think about that stuff. That's one of the main things I'm going to be focusing on over the next couple weeks once the season ends, once I kind of decompress from the grind, the weekly grind that we have during the season. And really start looking at those teams that I'm going to keep uh, into the offseason and how I can make some of those moves. And look for the spots in the leagues I know I can make those moves and try to get them done. So with that, I'll come back. Second part of the episode, I'll briefly touch on the later half of the first round in the 2023 rookie class. And that is how we will finish things off for today. So I will be back in 30 seconds. Welcome back. So for the second half of the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what to do if you are picking in the back half of your rookie draft. Now, obviously, this is going to be a range that we can't really define yet because we haven't seen the combine. We haven't even seen the full list of players that are going to be declaring. We obviously haven't seen draft capital. So there's still a lot to be filled in uh, with these gaps. But let's assume you're picking 107 to 112, maybe even extend it into the early second. You're probably going to be at a spot at least If what I talked about last week holds true, there's not going to be a lot of quarterbacks available. You might get a shot at the QB four, maybe the QB three in some leagues. But I even said last week and Bryce Young and CJ Stroud did not disappoint uh, in terms of where they are going to probably slot after their playoff performances or their bowl game performances. But with that said, like you're going to look at those early picks with the current quarterback landscape. It's going to be really hard to bank on if you're sitting at the 108 or 109 that you get a quarterback. You may have a random league where someone doesn't take Will Levis, possibly. But I think in a lot of leagues, what you're going to see is people are just going to snap up the quarterbacks. Whether you think they should go there or not, you're going to see a lot of leagues where by 106, 107, they're all going to be gone. And I'm talking about the big four. So obviously you have Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. Assuming they all get the draft capital. If they all get top 15, top 20 draft capital, they're going to be gone. You're not going to be able to say, I have that 110. I'm going to be able to bank on getting a quarterback. I don't think that's going to happen. Not with what the current landscape is going to be and not with what I think the narrative is going to be from a lot of dynasty analysts out there. You really can't pass these guys up, even if you don't like them. Even if you think drafting Will Levis is really risky relative to drafting Quentin Johnston or Jackson Smith Najigma. There's going to be people that make that pick because they're just going to stick with their analysis on Will Levis, the player, and they're not going to be looking at the positional value or the current position landscape. But I think in most leagues, you're going to see the quarterbacks get snapped up. Maybe 107, 108, you can squint and say there might be an access to a quarterback for you, but not any later than that. So with that said, like, what do I do if I'm sitting on these picks? I think the one thing to remember is this. 
that these picks may not be super desirable right now. But the one good thing about what I talked about on last show with the 102 through the 105-ish, if you have those picks and they all end up being quarterbacks, maybe you see the wide receiver one or the RB2 sneak in there. If that's how it goes, the teams that are picking in the back half of the first round, there's one thing I can assure you you're going to get, and that's access to pedigree access to a profile, access to a very good profile. Now, you may not sit there and say, well, Quentin Johnston goes in the top 12 of the NFL draft, and I can get him at the 106. That's a slam dunk. And you may compare him to other receivers that have gone there in past drafts, and you go, wow, Quentin Johnston, he's no Jalen Waddle. Quentin Johnston, he's no Garrett Wilson. Who cares? What you can assure yourself is if you're picking in the top 12 to 15, you are going to have access to premium pedigree players. You may not like them. You may not think they're the better option relative to other players in Dynasty at their position, but you're going to have access to pedigree. First round wide receivers. There's probably going to be four or five of them. Top 50 picks at running back. There's probably going to be two or three. A first-round tight end, there's probably going to be one. Quarterbacks picked in the top 15 of the NFL draft, there's probably going to be four. So right there, I just went over a dozen players. So keep that in your mind when you're looking at these picks. You may have no clue what that 111 is going to be worth. It may not even be a guy that you like that goes in that first round. You may go, I don't really like Jalen Hyatt. I don't think he's that great. But if he goes as wide receiver four off the board at pick 22, he's going to be in that range. Or at least historically, he is a player that should be drafted in that range. And I think you're going to get that with a lot of the receivers in this class. It's going to be very interesting to see how these receivers shake out. Now that Kayshawn Boutte is back in the class, the receiver class after the top three, so Johnston, JSN, and Jordan Addison, you're probably going to have two or three other receivers that go in the top 35 picks. And people are going to go, wow, I don't think Josh Downs, he's that good. You know what? Until he goes in the first round and you go, wow, well, you know what? He's, he's got to be a first round profile now. He could end up being Rashad Bateman. He could end up being Jerry Judy. He could end up being Devontae Smith. He could end up being Justin Jefferson. He could end up being Brandon Ayuk. He could also end up being not good. He could end up being Kadarius Toney or Jalen Rager. But the idea is you kind of know where they should go from a rookie draft standpoint. So if you have one of these picks, remember that. You may not like the player. And that's where kind of I can help you because I don't see things the exact same way as a lot of other people. I don't care about the players. I could care less whether Josh Downs is better than the fourth receiver that came off the board last year. I don't give a shit. I'm simply looking at the pedigree and the type of profile that you're going to get. Now, how the community sees that individual player, that's different. That will impact the value of the pick. But at least you know, right now, before we know any of that information, if you're sitting at that 111, you have pedigree already in hand. This isn't sitting on the 202 in 2022. Where you're sitting there going, man, if these quarterbacks don't get the draft capital like last year, this 202 pick is like no man's land. Like, I don't even know what to pick. I'm going to end up having to reach on a third round running back because I don't know what else to take. So I think that's where this class is different. And I think that's where this class, at least right now, I feel a lot more secure about this class 
even if the class doesn't end up better, who cares? I think the draft pedigree, we've had Shane Hallam on America's Game, and this was the main theme that we talked about, was the draft pedigree is going to be there for these players from a draft capital and historic value perspective from Dynasty. You may not like the player. You may sit there and go, yeah, you know what? That second round Zach Charbonnet is not the same as second round J.K. Dobbins a couple years ago because, well, I just don't like Zach Charbonnet as much as I like J.K. Dobbins. Who cares? What I'm telling you is the slot that it's going to occupy with your late first round pick is going to be there. The value is going to be there. So forget about the players. If you're picking in this range, let's call it 106 to 112, you know you're going to get strong pedigree at your pick. You may not like the player. You may not like what the player or what that pick can buy you on the open market in terms of veterans. You may go, wow, there's a lot of veterans I would prefer over drafting Josh Downs just because you don't like Josh Downs. That's fine. But just don't give up that pedigree that you already have in the bag. I'm very confidently saying you already have that pedigree in the bag. So don't give that up. Respect that. Respect that when somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I'll buy that 112. Because that's probably what they're thinking about. They're sitting there thinking, okay, I can count on one finger how many players that I think may be available there. Because I know who's going to be gone. I know of seven or eight players that are for sure going to be gone at the 112. But man, I kind of like what I'm getting at that 112. I'm probably going to get a first round receiver. I'm probably going to get a running back that was drafted in the top 50 or 60 picks of the NFL draft. Those are strong historical bets from a correlation perspective as what you're going to get with your dynasty rookie pick. So don't give that up. Don't give that flexibility up unless you are sure about what you're getting. Don't settle. Don't settle for less because eh, someone tells you that maybe Josh Downs and Jalen Hyatt aren't that great. Who cares? Who cares? Lean into the fact that you know you're going to get the pedigree. Be picky. Now, that doesn't mean, and this is part of the strategy if you're picking in this range, I have no issues if you're in a couple leagues and you made the playoffs and you're sitting on your first round pick and you go, you know what? I have the 111. What can I get for it? Understand that you can go out and purchase a guy like Marquise Brown or DJ Moore, or maybe you want to buy a running back. I wouldn't advocate buying a running back now, but you could. If you want to go do a one-for-one swap and you give up that pick for a kind of insulated veteran asset, go for it. But just don't give away that pedigree that you already have locked in willy-nilly. Don't give that away because ah, you're not sure about the player. When someone tells you, hey, there's a really good shot, you're getting Jalen Hyatt or Josh Downs with that 111, embrace that. Embrace the fact that you're probably getting a first-round receiver there. Who cares if you don't like that player as much as George Pickens? or Jahan Dotson. Just understand that you already have the same thing and you have the flexibility, right? You have a pick that could be something different. So don't panic. Don't go through and use your personal scouting evaluations and go, eh, I don't really like that guy. There's only seven players I like in this class. And after that point, it's dead. So don't think that way. Don't give up those picks too easily because you're scared about the players that are going to be there. Embrace the fact that I'm pretty certain if you go down the line, we're going to have 15 to 18 possible dynasty first round profile players. That includes top 50 receivers in the NFL draft. That includes running backs that are taken in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. That includes first round tight ends. That includes first round quarterbacks. I'm pretty confident we may get 15 to 18 players in the NFL draft that fit that range. Now, it might not be a player you like. It might be Tyquan Thornton or Wandale Robinson. Okay, you never thought they might be 
first round pedigree players. They weren't because they were different names than what you projected. But you can already pencil in that there's going to be some pedigree there. So just make sure you think about that before you put these picks on the block, before you go through the names and you get too attached to the names and how good you think they're going to be. Just remember, pedigree, pedigree, pedigree. And the liquidity and the flexibility is already on your side if you have the late picks. So I'm already seeing this in a lot of our groups. Hey, I have the 111. What should I trade it for? And really, the first answer from people always comes down to, well, what players are going to be there? Who cares? I don't care what players are going to be there because guess what? It's January. I'm pretty confident there's going to be pedigree there. might not be the guy you want to get the pedigree, but it's going to exist. So think about that before you trade these late firsts. I think you can be a lot more flexible. I think you're totally good with trading one for one. If you can trade the 109 and get Marquise Brown or DJ Moore or something like that, I have no issue with that kind of trade. It's a one for one. Especially if you're going to end up drafting the same position at one of those spots, that's fine. If you trade a late first for Nick Chubb or someone like that, no issues with that. You know, think about what you're doing. But if you're sitting there making an educated guess saying, you know what, there's probably going to be a couple running backs there at that spot, but I just prefer to get a year or two out of Nick Chubb. Totally fine with that. But just understand what you're trading away. Don't trade it away because you're scared the player that's going to be there isn't going to be good enough or is not going to have the pedigree. Because you embrace that flexibility that you will have until that player takes the field. If you let that player take the field and then he's not any good, then maybe you've missed your window. But don't sell that pick now. Embrace the fact that you have the golden ticket asset for the next couple months. Worry about the trade value of the player a little bit later and just don't undersell on these late firsts. So that's just something to keep in mind. I get a lot of questions with these late picks. Oh, should I trade it away for this player or that player? Sure, if you want to, but just realize that you're actually giving away the leverage when you do that, that you have that same type of deal that you might be able to get in a couple months. So think about that before you move these picks away. Uh, as always, you can find everything over at Destination Devi, uh, patreon.com slash all gas. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter, which is all gas dot uh, com backslash subscribe, enter your email. You'll get access to weekly content from everybody at the Destination Devi team. Uh, super excited. Next week is going to be the first live stream for this show. It will be Sunday night after the late slate of games uh, next Sunday afternoon. Uh, probably will go live sometime before or right at the beginning of the Sunday night game next week. It'll just be a follow-up show. Uh, live Q&A talking about Pretty much everything I've covered on the podcast thus far, general questions, really just going to open up to the group. I know we have a lot of people that have been clamoring for me to get on YouTube and kind of just do a Q&A show. So it'll just be me. We'll just take questions. I'll prepare a couple topics that I'll bring, but if we end up just taking a bunch of questions, I'll throw them up on the screen, talk about it, interact with the chat. So prepare to be there. I'll announce an official time later in the week and make sure that it's posted out there on Twitter. Uh, we'll definitely mention it on the DD feed so that everybody can tune in. Uh, but just be ready for it. Next Sunday, live Q&A, talking roster construction, off-season strategy, rookie strategy, and everything else. So be ready to be there. I appreciate everybody that's supported me thus far, everybody at DD, uh, everybody that helps produce this. Shout out to Jay Rich. He always gets the podcast out on time, even though I send it to him uh, pretty late at night sometimes, but he always gets it out on time. So shout out to everybody uh, at the DD team, but especially Jay Rich for doing all of the production. And with that, hopefully everybody brings home their championships this week. 
Uh, and I will be back next week for the first live stream episode on YouTube. Be chill. Ain't like that. Only ones I keep around me is my family.